This episode of Filtered Through Fiction is dedicated to Julia Goodwin and those who love her. But know this, the ones that love us never really leave us. Hi, I'm Karen. I'm Naki. This is Filtered Through Fiction, where we look at life through the lens of our favorite fiction. Today we'll cover Chapter 15 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Forbidden Forest. Oof. I have some things to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's getting deep, kids. Uh, it's going to get real sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Should I open a window? <laughs> I'm like, did I put on deodorant? No. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, I'm just going to tell everybody now that from these final chapters are going to have some long ass recaps. <laughs> <laughs> and probably some long ass episodes. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about. Here's your warning. Like go ahead, get comfy, settle in, mm-hmm. get your favorite drink, grab some tissues, get your favorite little <laughs> snack snack. Mm, snacks. And let's fucking go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our recap. After being caught out of bed after hours by Filch. Harry and Hermione are brought to Professor McGonagall, who has Neville in tow, also out of bed, because he was trying to find Harry to warn him about Draco. And they're all in deep shit. (laughs) (laughs) McGonagall deals out a punishment so harsh, there's no way Gryffindor can now win the House Cup. And as the news leaks, almost the whole school turns on Harry. Harry, Hermione, and Neville. It's really weird to say Neville and not Ron. Right? (laughs) Especially with the movies. Yeah. Harry forswears all the trouble, all the meddling, all the sneaking, and is soon put to the test about a week later (laughs) when he overhears Professor Quirrell sobbing in a classroom, sounding as though he's being threatened by someone. Harry, Hermione, Neville, and Draco have detention with Hagrid, which takes them into the Forbidden Forest to search for an injured unicorn. Never mind everything that's wrong with this detention. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Slight, slight um, tangent. You're caught out of bed after hours and you're punished. And so your punishment is after hours to be out of bed in what is arguably the most dangerous place in the school. Yep. Okay. Anyway, back to the recap. While searching for the unicorn, Harry and Draco find that poor injured unicorn dead in the forest, and they see a slithering, hooded, creepy-ass figure drinking its blood. It alerts to Harry and Draco and moves toward Harry, who is frozen in fear and has a strange pain in his scar. So he's unable to move and is suddenly saved by a centaur named Ferenz, mm-hmm. who carries Harry back to safety. Ferenz takes some time to clue our little friend Harry into what is going on. Talking about the use of unicorn, talking about the sorcerer's stone and the elixir of life, and helps him come to the place to realize that the person who's likely in the forest drinking unicorn blood and trying to get the elixir of life is none other than moldy-ass Voldy. <laughs> Later in the common room, Harry, Ron, and Hermione piece together that Snape wants the stone for Voldemort to help him return to life. And as they finally go to bed, Harry is surprised to find his cloak back in his bed with a note that says, Just in case. Told you it's going to be long. And even then, there's so much I left out. But I was like, is it a plot point? Is it a plot point? Mm -hmm. Potentially one of the longest recaps that we've covered. But only to be rivaled by probably the next two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. We both have some things. (laughs) So would you like to kick us off? Hmm. Where to begin? Uh, I kind of had a giggle about McGonagall at the beginning of this chapter. (laughs) Um, I feel like the summary of McGonagall right now is I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Yeah. (laughs) But she's mad. So it's not, it's not a good summary, but she 
is so disappointed in yeah. that her students, that her Harry, her Hermione, and well, she's really, really disappointed in Harry and Hermione. Yeah. And part of that is because they kind of dragged Neville into it because yeah. she thinks that they're lying about having seen a dragon mm-hmm. so that they can trick Malfoy into getting out of his bed at night and that then therefore Neville overheard that and they put Neville in the position to where he felt he needed to come to her or yeah. to go not to come to her but to go save them yeah and so she's I don't know. I just, I'm like so torn about this whole scene with McGonagall. Like, is she mad? Is she disappointed? Is it, is it fair? Like the punishment? There is part of the punishment. And I have listened to podcasts where one of the hosts is like, she's not even a Gryffindor. She's like, that is fucking insane. 150 (laughs) points, but they only get five points for like conquering a mountain troll and things like that. And I I agree she's disappointed, but I think she is upset. Yeah. And I think part of this punishment is like filtered through that lens of she's upset. And I'm curious if she weren't as upset. Like it's kind of like making that decision in the moment where you feel very emotional for good or bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the, the hard thing. Like she's, I think the hardest emotion is disappointment. And so looking at me being McGonagall mm-hmm. <laughs> in that moment, I think the the harshest punishment from me would come through disappointment and not through like just being pissed that, you know, four students out of bed in one night. Right. <laughs> She's never seen this before. I'm like, you didn't pay very much attention to the marauders. Then. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or they were just sneakier. Yeah. Well, yes. And, The other emotion I think she's dealing with that is not addressed in the book, and I'm assuming, but is fear. Yeah. I think she is actually operating in a completely terrified, like, I was not expecting that. She knows what's going on with the Sorcerer's Stone and, you know, what they're expecting. And on that night of all nights, four students out of bed (laughs) all at the same time. She's probably freaking terrified. Yeah. Like, I'm not a teacher. I've never been in charge of more than just my own two kids or, like, kids I'm babysitting. But, like, I think about some of the punishments I've given my children for some of the stupid shit they've done. And it's my biggest thing with them is when I think it's it's fear-based. Like, yeah. you really, really could have hurt somebody doing what you just yeah. did. I can't let that happen anymore. This Mm -hmm. punishment has to be so harsh. You will never, ever make that mistake again. Yeah. Well, and she actually alludes to the fact in that moment where she is also telling Neville that he's got detention and that nothing gives even him the right to be out of bed. She says it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. She says, especially these days, it's very dangerous. And aside from the troll... I can't think of a moment that the school would be aware of danger. Only the faculty and then, of course, our sneaky trio. Right. Who knows everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who actually knows more than uh, most of the faculty. Uh, There is nothing that the school would think. We know it's dangerous times. Like, they have those same warnings in the second book with the Chamber of Secrets and, like, enemies of the air beware and... They have the danger of Sirius Black being loose and Prisoner of Azkaban and things like that. But so far in this book, aside from the troll, there is nothing that I think keys the students into we are living in a dangerous moment. And so I think you're right. I think there is like a fear-based response that she is concerned for their safety. And they're kind of just like throwing all caution to the wind by being out and about. Um, and I mean, the woman doesn't even realize there really is a dragon (laughs) and that there really was a specific, I guess, animal based danger that they're actually getting rid of. Like Mm -hmm. they're sending on to a sanctuary. Yep. You know, the other thing that really bothers me about this punishment Mm -hmm. is that so far... The only people who are paying 
for Hagrid's illegal dragon <laughs> are people who aren't Hagrid. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, he never pays for it. Other than, like, in the very, very end, he's sad about, like, he feels responsible for what goes on with Harry. But, like, Hagrid never actually pays. That's true. And we'll we'll get to a moment. I mean, we could talk about it now if, if we're done talking about the punishment piece, but. Well, I was, the only other thing I was going to say about the punishment piece is just that the second part of the punishment is the detention mm-hmm. in the forest, which is, as you said, like, uh what yeah (laughs) you're gonna be punished for being out of bed at night (laughs) on in dangerous times by being sent out of bed at night from 11 to dawn Mm -hmm. this isn't even just like a (laughs) short trip at one in the morning this is all freaking night long in the forbidden forest which is forbidden for a goddamn good reason yeah like what when somebody (sighs) when something is drinking unicorn blood you're gonna send these children to go find it with only one adult with only one adult and you're splitting them up yeah (laughs) oh my hell what kind of punishment is that supposed to be i I, i've never understood that it's just like a really shitty way jk got them into the forest so that they could meet the centaurs and see and harry could see moldy voldy for the first time it is like <laughs> like it, it just is there is no logic. Yeah. I think that's a frustrating thing too that every now and then we either find ourselves working for people or in places where like none of their decisions seem like they make any sense, you know. <laughs> um whether that is, you know, I've definitely alluded to a lot of that in Jesus camp, but also like thinking about places where I have worked over the last oh lord 20 years and and them making decisions that it's like what drove this decision because literally nothing about it makes sense and i can't imagine how (laughs) these kids feel about like being sent into the most arguably the most dangerous part of their campus at the most dangerous time to be in there to hunt something that is dangerous enough <laughs> to wound, harm, and later we find kill a unicorn. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's so incredibly mind-boggling. <laughs> I, yeah, like when I am at a job and they are just like, do this. And it's in complete opposition to something else I've, ar- I've already been told. I need to know why I need to understand like what is this isn't a punishment this is just a you know job you know uh task but when it's illogical from the sense of like this boss person told me to do this now this other person with maybe some boss authority but maybe a little less is telling me to do something different I just need to know why. I need to make sure we're all on the same page yeah, because like what is what is our goal? What is our goal? Why are we doing this? I need more information. Yeah. I'm not saying no. I'm not defying your authority. <laughs> I just need to make sure it all makes sense because I'm getting different different information from different sources well, and in different direction. Yeah, like you know. You said you wanted me to do this. That person's telling me they want me to do literally the opposite. One person saying stay inside. At night, it's fucking scary out there. <laughs> and then in this case, actually the same person but <laughs> is saying, go outside, go into the scariest part, do the do the exact opposite of what I just told you last night. What, why? Give me yeah. more. In- like, what am I doing? Why am I out here? Like, I'm not saying no. I know you're in authority and I know I need to do what you ask me to do unless, well, what I tell my kids is unless it's illegal or dangerous, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> In this case, dangerous would apply. You can say no to authority like that. But I, I just, yeah, I need to know why. I cannot just blindly do something that does yeah. not make sense. Well, and in a scenario where you are being told to do opposing things, like it leaves you in a position of like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what the correct thing is to do. And really, I'm just like this little middleman who can't 
articulate why I would be doing either of these things other than you told me to. And I'm, I'm just trying to do the right thing. And now it really leaves you responsible to be the person who's like, okay, so you're telling me to do this. And there's clearly not enough communication between, you know, boss A and boss B. I'm I'm trying to make those connections for you. And, so and I don't even know how. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just know you're telling me this. They're telling me this. And I, I, I need you two to come together and figure out why we're here, what we're doing, what's the goal, and what is the thing that best serves the goal. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if the goal has changed, because obviously, you know, like this person told me this a while ago. So there's, a, you know, yeah. maybe you guys have had conversations yeah. where something has changed, but that's where I'm lost because I haven't been in those conversations. So that's why I need you to tell me what's going on because I'm just not a part of all this, yeah. all the conversations and yeah, I will do it, but I just want to make sure a, I'm not wasting my time because I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to be told, why did you do that? That's yeah. not what I told you from person a, <laughs> like, I don't like to waste my time. I don't like to waste your money, employer. Let's just figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just communicate yeah. is basically the point. I am flashing back to a moment in the midnight duel where you said about Hermione, her hypocrisy knows no bounds. And today that statement gets to translate to Rubius Hagrid, mm. who tells Draco Malfoy, you've done wrong, and now you've got to pay for it. Hagrid, your hypocrisy <laughs> knows, knows no bounds. No bounds. <laughs> I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because as we mentioned so far, the only person who has had no consequences, no repercussions whatsoever for having an illegal dragon is Hagrid. <laughs> Other than he did have to go through the sorrow and sadness of saying goodbye. Are you serious? I mean, it's one of those moments where if I if I were there watching this conversation, I would be dumbfounded into silence, <laughs> unable to say anything. Like, are you serious, Hagrid? <laughs> I'm just curious. Who in this situation, so far, has? done nothing to pay for the wrong that they did uh, yeah <laughs> i'm like oh no this series is making me not like hagrid <laughs> i know this is what i'm in my my brain is doing right now is like what kind of blinders do i have on regarding hagrid that i didn't even think about this <laughs> i love him so much that i have never considered the fact that he did a, now i'm like oh my god i love hagrid but i do think he's pretty irresponsible oh yeah at times that's true but good heart but still like yeah. are you are you serious right now hagrid yeah i've <laughs> never thought about that but it's a hundred percent true <sighs> uh communication we've been talking about in terms of this uh the one other thing that does happen in this chapter that I always come back to over and over is Hermione wants to go to Dumbledore mm -hmm. and they tell her no. <laughs> they have, they have this like laundry list of reasons why I think ultimately they don't think they'll be believed. Yeah. We've got no proof. <clears throat> Harry says, um, yeah, she said, Harry says, but we've got no proof. And then goes on this whole list of why he thinks Dumbledore will think they made it up. Mm-hmm. And it's always my, I mean, again, I know the, the books would be a lot shorter and there'd maybe only be one, but I always am like, why don't you just go talk to Dumbledore? The lack of communication and the assumption about who will think what about whom just drives me crazy. I'm so Hermione in this one. Just, let's just go to Dumbledore. Yeah. That's what we should have done ages ago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yes. Yes, you should have. <laughs> it's okay. We wouldn't be reading this series, but it's okay. Yeah. Oh, man. It just... How often do we think we know what somebody is going to say or think and we stop ourselves from yeah. having a good conversation or we have a conversation, but we're un we've already decided what 
they're going to say. So yeah. we come into it defensively or, yeah. you know, it's we've, like, we've told ourselves a story, we've created a narrative and, you know, I think there's an anxiety or a dread or an anticipation that it's going to go exactly how we have assumed it will. Yeah, I am very, that's like a huge, I am working on it thing that I don't actually work on. I just say I'm going to, where I assume way too much about what I think people are going to think or say. Mm -hmm. And I let that, and I become like fearful about it. And I just let that freeze me. Like, uh, I don't want to, I'm not going to have that conversation. I know what they're going to say and it's not good. It's not going to go my way or they're going to think this of me. Yeah. They're going to think lesser of me. They're going to think I'm flighty. They're going to think I'm irresponsible. They're going to think I'm this, like all the things about myself that I don't like or that I think I see. Mm-hmm. I always push that onto other people and I assume that's what they're going to think. And I either just won't have the conversation or I go into it and say that, like, I know you think blah, 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 blah. And then the person that I'm talking to is like, okay, but no, (laughs) I don't think that. (laughs) And if they're a kind and loving and, you know, person who cares about me, they do that in a kind and loving way where they're like, no, I don't think you're an idiot. You are really, you know, you've got good ideas and we just have to figure out how to make this work. Yeah. If there's somebody who doesn't know me well, they probably just make me feel worse. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because I would say that a good term for what you're describing is projection. Oh, uh uh-huh. And I've been listening to the book Cassandra Speaks and... One of the really eye-opening things that she talks about is that when we start to believe things about ourselves, whether they're true or not, but we don't like them, when we don't want to face that shadow sense of ourselves, we start to just project them onto other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how eventually, I one of two things will happen. We'll either never really face that about ourselves Or there will come a point where something happens to finally push us into that space of, like, I can't avoid this any longer. And you just have to come to terms with that sense of self, that sense of yourself. I bought that book. So you're saying I should read it? It's a good book. I mean, (laughs) what I've listened to so far, I've been 100% dedicated to uh, our Harry Potter project Mm. here since... We've had some cool things develop Mm, mm -hmm. in our filtered through fiction world over here. So I have been pretty much only reading or listening to Harry Potter and ourselves. So (laughs) talking about Harry Potter. (laughs) Listening to myself talk about Harry Potter to get smarter about Harry Potter. It's fine. It's it's not narcissistic. It's... (laughs) processing i call that success yes then when you you know you've set yourself up for success when you have fixed things to where your next project requires you to listen to your own podcast (laughs) for research purposes Uh uh-huh yeah that's absolutely the pinnacle of success (laughs) and thank you yeah it's not like being in a vacuum or an echo chamber whatsoever nope nope, not at all Mm mm-hmm I do have to take us back to the very beginning of the chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um where Filch brings Harry and Hermione into Face McGonagall. And kind of that um I would call it maybe a kind of a panic or kind of grasping for any explanation, any excuse possible where Harry is doing whatever he can to get out of trouble and says excuses, alibis, and wild cover-up stories chased each other around Harry's brain, each more feeble than the last. He couldn't see how they were going to get out of trouble this time. They were cornered. It's one of those things where, you know, he's, he's racing to get the right excuse, get the right alibi, but really, like, and it alludes to this later, like, dude, 
you're getting what you deserved <laughs> uh, for breaking rules. I'm not saying that they didn't. Well, like Hagrid's the reason why they're out of bed and things like that. But how hard it is in those moments where we know we've just been cornered by our own decisions, our own actions that we took, our own behaviors, and how hard it is in those moments to just own your shit yep. and say, fuck, I know. I did wrong and I can't do anything but own it. And and when you are able to do that and when you can tell the truth, the punishment is often much less severe. Yeah. Like in Harry's example, if he would have if they would have literally told the truth to McGonagall in that moment, sure they probably still would have gotten punished. Yeah. But if she knew there really was a dragon and that Hagrid had <laughs> done you know that they were trying to she might have taken out some of her wrath on Hagrid (laughs) who did deserve it and maybe a little less on the kids who were just trying to help and save him you know and in real life often when we do that and we're in these situations where you know I have to own up to something that I did when I get defensive when I make an excuse when I try to place blame on somebody else Mm -hmm. that turns into a fight yeah. With whomever I'm talking to. Whereas if I just say, God, I'm so sorry. I just, I fucked up. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm going to do my best not to do that again. Like, whoosh, it's over. Yeah. And <laughs> I think, I think some of that too is just sure in this moment with McGonagall, but in real life, when you're talking about those moments, the sense of validation you provide someone when you say, you're right. This one's on me. I, and I'm sorry. Because I think that frustration is like, I just want you to own this. I just want you to admit like that was not right. That was not like that wasn't fair or whatever that thing might be. Yeah. To think about how when you're the one who is asking someone like, well, you just own your shit in this. And they say, you're right. I'm sorry. How that pulls almost all of the frustration out of that moment absolutely thank you that's thank you all i wanted yep (laughs) now let's fix it yeah like let's work together now to fix it yeah but like that's all i needed from you i didn't need an excuse i didn't need you to place blame i didn't need you to tell me i was you know wrong Mm -hmm. if i had fault in it also good hold me accountable but Mm -hmm. first if i'm holding you accountable acknowledge that yeah because if I'm holding you accountable, you deny it, and then immediately try to say, well, you did this. Yeah. Guess what I'm going to do? Get real fucking defensive. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to be like, mm, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I did. Like, no, because now I'm already pissed because you didn't own your shit. Yeah. It just escalates that conflict. Mm-hmm. Honesty really is the best policy. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's true. When you said something about Filch, I thought you were going to talk about when he was walking him to the forest. No, is it Filch or Snape? Yeah, Filch. Filch walks. Him Filch to the walks forest. him to the forest. Yeah, when Filch is walking him to the forest, and he's like, "Oh yeah, hard work and pain are the best <laughs> teachers, if you ask me." And he starts talking about the old punishments, hanging you by your wrists from the ceiling for a few days, like. I need to know when that was the acceptable punishment at Hogwarts. Please tell me that predated Dumbledore. (laughs) Like, what is he even... I mean, I feel like it had to predate Filch. And it's just something, like, he's holding onto from history that he didn't even uh, experience. He's just been watching too much true crime. (laughs) (laughs) Fox News. (laughs) <laughs> That's all I could think of was like the make America great again, make America great again, like <clears throat> crowd where it's like, it was so good back then when the mm-hmm. kids did this and da, 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 and it's like, you realize that like kids were just being physically abused yeah, and women were being oppressed and you want to keep that America great again? Cool, cool, cool. Like, okay. Awesome. That's mm-hmm. all I could think of. Like, all right. <laughs> Anyway, I thought that's what you were going to talk about with Felch, and I was like, oh boy, he is quite um, a piece of work. Uh, I'm not touching Felch with a 10-foot pole. No, nobody is. <laughs> Except Miss, Mrs. Norris. Oh, well, 
She's a cat. She's got claws. Yeah. She doesn't know better. <laughs> it's true. Um, when they get brought to the forest and they first are starting to hear what their punishment is or what their detention is, Malfoy has an extremely classist <laughs> moment that makes me want to punch him in the throat. I'll I'll hold his arms behind him. <laughs> you punch him in the throat. <laughs> He's scared yeah. again. Like this is coming out of fear, but we know where kids get the things that they say, right? Yeah. He is being told they're going to go into the forest that they are going to No, he doesn't even know what he, what they're doing yet. He just knows that they're at the forest and Hagrid's going to take them in. And um he says, but this is servant stuff. It's not for students to do. And I just have never wanted to reach into a page and <laughs> strangle a child more than in that moment. <laughs> like, he just doesn't get it. No. <laughs> he doesn't get it. I. Uh, it's so gross. Yeah. This is servant stuff. He doesn't even know what they're doing yet. He just knows it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to dirty his little lily white hands and just the idea that it's it's more of the same from him in that uh like servant stuff like there is somebody who is less than Mm -hmm. who is responsible for these tasks that deserve to be given to somebody who is less than yeah yeah it's just gross and i hate it and i hate that his dad has done that to him because like i said we all know where it comes from 11-year-old kid doesn't come up with that on their own, no. you know? It's so gross. Yeah. Fucking blonde daddy. <laughs> but then he says, if my father knew I was doing this, he'd... And Hagrid interrupts and says, tell you that's how it is at Hogwarts. So I'm curious. I wonder how Lucius really would react. Yeah. If he heard about this punishment. Would he say that's for servants to do? Or would he say that's how it is at Hogwarts? That is a good question because we, I mean, we don't see, I guess, enough interaction with him when it comes to coming to Draco's defense. We hear a lot of things from Draco, like, my father's going to hear about Mm, this. mm -hmm. And we see in the next book uh, that he's on essentially the the PTO. He's on the The board, the school board. He's on the school board. And... He wants to make specific decisions, but really it comes down to removing Dumbledore. And if they were to remove Dumbledore and put whoever, Lucius, Lucius, however you want to say it, that's why we call him Blonde Daddy. Yeah, because we can't figure out how to say his name. (laughs) Luscious. (laughs) Luscious Malfoy. Uh, Whoever in his mind he would replace Dumbledore with, I can only imagine things would actually get harsher. Oh, for sure. Is my best guess. And in this moment, I'm going to pull a Dumbledore and say, my guesses tend to be good. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're right. I don't think it would be. I mean, maybe the punishments would get harder, but they wouldn't get doled out to yeah you know Malfoy wouldn't have gotten punished true in this instance maybe if Lucius Lucius Luscious Malfoy was in charge what else you got I'm gonna take us into a controversial place Ooh, Ooh, okay (laughs) well maybe we should just go there I I have a I have a weird church churchy predestination connection that I don't know if it we're we're gonna dance around a similar topic, so hmm. so you go. You want me to do it? Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Well, I do have this weird. I don't know if I can make the connection the way that my brain is making it. I don't know if I can make it out loud, but that's okay. Here's where here's where I'm gonna go. On page two fifty seven. We've got the same page number, so... Maybe we are addressing the same thing, and you're going to articulate it so much better than me. No. Mine isn't like a predestination theme. Like, mine's going to... But it's going to be in the same vein. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So much suspense. Okay. 
Well, the we've met the centaurs. We've met all the things. Everything's crazy and scary. And two centaurs are arguing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ferenz, who is wanting to help save Harry Potter, mm-hmm. says... Do you not see that unicorn? Do you not understand why it was killed? Or have the planets not let you in on that secret? And um, and then later on page 259, Ferenz says to Harry, the planets have been read wrongly before now, even by centaurs. So the connection in those things about planets and predictions and the planets being the ones that are like saying what's going to happen in the future. Um, I just had this, like, I don't know if it's because I was raised Catholic or (laughs) (laughs) just all the things about um, like the way that certain belief systems believe that everything is already predestined to happen a certain way. And we really don't have any control over it. I think of it as like being played like chess pieces Mm -hmm. by some Some star daddy. Oh, star daddy. (laughs) Star daddy. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) We've got a new daddy. (laughs) You know. You know, star daddy. Star daddy. Star daddy's my favorite daddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's the episode title. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. And I really, 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 really super hate it and reject it. I do not like the thought that there is some being in the sky that has everything figured out and is just playing games with us or like the, you know, the reason why I say predestination with this is like, um, well, they the, talk the unicorn about, was killed for like it had to because of oh, this. Sure. Like this was going to happen because of because, what's been foretold. Yeah, because, is literally what yeah, they say. Yeah, so it's like everything is already planned out. You just have to sit and watch it happen. Yeah, and it takes away any kind of, for lack of better word, free will. Sure, that we have, and it's like why? What's the fucking point of everything then <laughs> if we yeah. have no? control over the things that happen to us and around us like yeah well and i think one of the most frustrating things that we see in this chapter that perfectly fits into that is that um ronan i think is the one who is so confined by what's been foretold you know like they say oh mars is bright tonight yeah all he can say is that mars is google it and it's basically like there's a pending battle battle is coming Mm. and so you know how he doesn't seem to care that there's this incredibly dark thing in the forest like hagrid says i knew it there's something in the forest that shouldn't be here and Ferenz, actually, what I like about Ferenz is in these moments where he's arguing and Ronan is so just bound by, but it's been foretold. This is what, you know, was essentially, this is the prophecy. These are what the stars are telling us. This is the path the world is on. And Ferenz basically says, fuck that. I set myself against whatever this dark thing is that is in the forest Mm -hmm. because my, my assumption in what he is saying in that moment, or I guess my interpretation of it is like the stars can say what they want, but I know that this evil thing does not belong here. And I set myself against it and the stars be damned, (laughs) you know, essentially. And just, I mean, I think we have a lot of different ways that we probably see people who are just so imprisoned, willfully so, like a self-accepted, a self-chosen, and at times self-created prison in terms of the vein of the thing they believe. Whether that is a... I I don't want to say faith because I think faith is a good thing, but like the religious piece of it. Right. And, or political beliefs, you know, like I 
do not consider myself like all one thing or all one of the other. Like to quote my incredibly brilliant friend Karen, say it with me, everyone. It's, <laughs> it's all on a spectrum. <laughs> you know, but oh, I the world feels so hard to be in right now because everything feels so adversarial, and it's because we're so fucking rooted and entrenched in just ideas that we aren't looking up to see each other. We're not looking up to see the fucking human beings across from us. And holy Moses, I'm on a soapbox. But like, <laughs> I love it. We're so entrenched in like Republican or Democrat, or we're so entrenched in like Christianity or whatever. I mean, like that's, yeah, that's yeah. That's my lens. Or maybe it's Catholicism. Maybe it's Mormonism. Maybe it's, I mean, it's really hard to see somebody be doing something like aggressive in Buddhism. But like, <laughs> let's just name them all, sure. you know, like Islam, Judaism, like all of the things that I'm not even smart enough to know exist. Um, like, we're just so fucking entrenched in those things that we don't see that the actual threat is, is we're not looking up and seeing human beings across from us. <sighs> you you did this. <laughs> no. Wow. I oh, told man. you it was going to go deep. Oh, I did not expect to talk about this. This is not even the path I plan on going oh. down. Wow. wow. But I love that Ferenz can pull himself out of the planets yeah. long enough to see that the true big picture is there's a real life threat. Yeah in the forest who is about to change the fucking world yeah in a terrible way yeah well and even though he does say the planets have been known to be wrong i didn't mean right? to go off like no, no, that no. sorry it's fine. it's fine it's good but he says that you know the planets have been have been wrong but also like so what if the planets are right so what if that is supposed to be what's going to happen? Do we still just sit back and watch Hitler kill 7 million Jews? Right. Or do we stand up to it? Yeah. You know, like, I don't want to be the person that just says like, yeah, well, that's, that's what the, that's what's been this told. Yeah. Holy document says sure. is going to happen or this, because again, which one are we going to listen to? Cause yeah. there's all these different doctrines out there. Am I going to just say, oh, well, yeah, that's just what's supposed to happen. So I'm going to let it. It's yeah. fine. I'm just going to, you know, put just, my head down and keep digging my ditch. And yeah. I'm not going to worry about what anybody else is doing. Or am I going to still try to at least be the best me? Yeah. If nothing else in the world, if I can't just be the best me by helping others, by standing up for something I see that's not right. Yeah. Then again, I say, what the fuck is the <laughs> point? Why are we even here? Right. Like if we can't change it, so be it. If the planets have decided, so be it. But why can't I still do the right thing? Yeah. And I think at least for the two of us, we are anti-authority enough to <laughs> be like, watch me, watch me. Yeah. You know, um, it sure it could be futile, but watch me because I cannot, I cannot stand aside and just say, oh, what to do? Well, you know, not my problem. Planet didn't tell me to do something. <laughs> Planets don't speak. Oh, we're getting into real dangerous territory now. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> Where but, are you going to go? Oh. But that does, you know, I am going to talk about the concept of prophecy. Uh-huh. And I know that, well, I think every every religion is in some way rooted in somebody having a prophecy of some sort. But I am going to talk about the experiences that I have had specifically in a church, like meaning not like a specific building, building a specific congregation, but like the denomination that I have been part of for, you know, my entire life up until 
recently. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and just that that religion, that path, you know, like it's it's just one of many uh <laughs> like sub routes you can take <laughs> within the overarching religion of Christianity. Um, denomination, I guess, is really what I'm looking for. But um, it believes, it is a, do- a denomination that absolutely believes in prophecy and receiving words from on high and being trusted to be a set of ears that perfectly and accurately hears this message to deliver to someone else. And I do not understand wanting to take on a responsibility like that like that nope oh my god i'm like <laughs> i can barely hear the right path for me sometimes Mm-mm. i mean not from a higher power so to speak in the religious sense but um i have i have been prophesied over um many many times and I think the most laughable ones are the ones that always talk about me finding a man of God. <laughs> <laughs> and what I am not doing is making fun of prophecy and I'm not making fun of any of that. I'm just saying, like, I think, I truly think those people mean well. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that in my specific experiences where it was either something spoken over me or I was present for it being spoken over someone else, meaning as a witness, not as in the one doing the speaking. Right. Because I never, ever once fooled myself into believing I thought I was hearing God speak through me. A specific message for a specific human being filled with specific hopes and praying for specific things they were desperate for. And I I genuine, genuinely believe in all of those moments, those people were well-intentioned and well-meaning and their hearts were in the right place. But I have watched a woman who was so desperate to have a child be prophesied over that she was pregnant. <laughs> and she wasn't you know and she sad and you know like we can talk about oh maybe it was metaphorical no 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 i was there for this i heard the word said and just like i don't think you're meaning it to be a weapon but that is a fucking weapon yeah and it is I i can't even articulate the responsibility and power you are taking on we have talked previously about the power of our words yeah and the power of the things that we say to one another and when somebody is coming forward like maybe it's not the same situation where they're incredibly desperate to hear a specific thing but people come forward and ask for prayer and ask for those things because they're needing something like mm-hmm. they're looking for something even if they don't know what and I can't think of a time where words matter more. And just like McGonagall made a decision rooted in a lot of emotions, whether it was disappointment, anger, fear, all of these things, like every time I have witnessed these things happen, it's incredibly emotional. It is actually like, to me, uncomfortably so heightened in the terms of like emotionality i don't know if that's a real word but it is now (laughs) and i it's so irresponsible to stand as an authority of spiritual connection to the thing that you both believe in and to say like this is the thing that you have utmost faith in And you are saying you have been selected as somebody with enough authority to be a mouthpiece for that thing. That's fucking irresponsible. (laughs) Like, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that the power of your words has an impact, like Mm -hmm. an incredible impact. How, 
exponentially increased is that when it's not your words, yeah. but now it's the words of of God, God or yeah, I mean, or a and, higher power. Yeah. In in my situation, like the the scenarios, yes, God, like right. whatever else that might look like in some other religion or whatever. Yeah, like That's if if terrifying your human words have yeah. impact, like the words that you are gonna say that you say are coming from God are going to have so much more impact and you damn well better get them right. Yeah. It can't be based in emotion. It can't be based in wishful fucking thinking. Yeah. You want to be pregnant. You are wishing. <laughs> you cannot prophesy right along that a person is pregnant. Yeah. That's not, that's not okay. That's so dangerous and so talk. It's toxic. Yeah. It's toxic. It makes Cause me. Cause now, Okay. I, I, I feel ashamed to have <sighs> even witnessed it. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. That's not your... Um. So, mm, yeah. Yeah. But that's what's so hard about. That's why, like, you have to respect Ferenz for saying, like, okay, you yeah. say the planets are saying this, but I'm still going to do what's yeah. most important because the planets can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. And by the planets can be wrong, I think what we're saying is the people interpreting the planets we can, can be, be wrong. wrong. We can be wrong because we are not the planets. We are not God. We yeah. are not this higher power. Yeah. And anytime we try to say with authority, we know what higher power is saying Star for Daddy. you. We know what Star Daddy is Star saying. Star Daddy <laughs> is saying, yeah, like I'm not trying to be dogging on the Christian God because it definitely yeah. can happen in Same. lots of different ways. It can happen with tarot cards it can happen with you know all all kinds of things but when you try to put that like supernatural authority yeah onto truly just human words you're it's it's toxic it's so dangerous yeah it's abusive you know i just all i can think about is that poor woman who wanted to be pregnant and they told her she was and how that had to feel after the fact when she was not. Yeah. And as a person with such a strong faith and belief system to think, what did I do? Yeah. What did I do wrong? If I'm, if God in this case said I was pregnant and I'm not, and I'm not, I did something. I am, there is something wrong. The failure is in me. Yeah. And just how, how fucked up is that? That's, Ooh, that's not good. Anyway, so yikes, dude! I told you we we were gonna tread on some ground today. We got some 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 stuff. (laughs) Uh, wow. Well, that's uh, that's about all I had, and more. I think. (laughs) I'm not even mad. Me either. Should we move into some hot seats? I think so. And I actually, like, came prepared with a question, not an answer. Oh, yeah. Of course. I always do this to myself. You said yours on this one was a little deeper? Um, I think it is, yeah. Okay, let's start with you, because I think mine could potentially, I think our answers could make it funny. Okay. So. All right. Well, the very first line of this chapter is, things couldn't have been worse. <laughs> And what I would like to know for our hot seat question today is, has there ever been a time in your life where you felt things couldn't have been worse, but looking back on it, they either really could have been worse (laughs) (laughs) or like you look back and you're like, oh, that was really... That really wasn't a big deal. Huh. Right now I feel like we're living in the things couldn't be worse times. <laughs> and then the next day happens and you find out it, it could. could. <laughs> oh. The world is really hard to be in right now. Mm. For me anyway. Yeah. Just lots of feels. I'm in my feels recently, yeah. so time when I thought it couldn't be worse um I would say the time where I felt the most despair was um like those three years after Jesus camp and 
coming back home to Texas and just how angry and hurt and depressed and full of despair I was in that time. It really felt like it cannot get lower. It, you know, just because I could not see a way out. And I think what I didn't expect in that time was to find connection and hope in unexpected places like college professors. I had two of them who um, were incredibly integral in me eventually finding some hope again. And one is Mrs. Rink, who I've talked about on the podcast previously when I talked about my favorite teacher. Um, and the other was, I had her for a few more psychology-related courses, but it was Mrs. Dossett. She also happened to be um, one of the college's counselors. And they, no matter how much I really felt like, and maybe sometimes it was true that it didn't feel like it could get any worse, but they were the beacons of, I won't say beacons, they were the pinpricks of light (laughs) (laughs) in in those small moments. And I really credit Mrs. Rink for helping me feel, helping me find ways and it it's not that she necessarily like physically taught me to do a thing but she um she showed me the way much like Harry showed Neville how to be courageous how to make brave um choices and and things like that uh she showed the way and how to connect with uh text with books with poems with songs and I credit them and the Dixie Chicks and Shadaisy for most likely saving my life. Wow. Those, that, that gaggle of women. <laughs> that's a good group. Yeah. That's a good group. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really think through this question <laughs> because I didn't realize how, like what I'm really asking and thank you for that, like vulnerability and answer because I'm literally asking you to tell me like your darkest time and that's like, <laughs> not really super uplifting and also the world right now (laughs) yeah Yeah, so agreed on the world right now (laughs) um and conversely mine is actually the my junior year of college Mm. college was not delightful for me especially that year that was when I had that psycho ass roommate that Mm. I've talked about before um I did not have close friends I was like super grossly desperate to like be in a relationship and kept trying to force things that weren't there. And um, yeah, it was just super, super unhealthy. It was about four years after my dad died and I had just slowly gone (laughs) lower and lower in the downward spiral of that grief and not knowing how to deal with it and trying to fill fill holes in my heart in ways that were just really unhealthy and all different types of relationships and vices and grossness and uh yeah it was really really bad and then I don't know I I'm not gonna say like oh I just pulled myself up by the bootstraps and figured it out. But like, I mean, I had to keep going. I did start dating Mark. I had a friend from high school that, like I said before, like was like, you need to get out of there. Let's get an apartment. Kind of got out of the physical location of it and was able to put some distance physically, which gave me the ability to kind of still finish college and, actually successfully (laughs) with better grades than that bitch roommate I had. (laughs) Um, But that gave me the ability to kind of get some mental distance and some emotional distance and then start healing from that a little bit and just needed a new situation. Yeah. Hello, darkness, my old friend. (laughs) 
We meet again. Mm. All right, let's lighten it up just yes, a little. Please. Yes, please. I'm so sorry. That was a terrible question. It's not. It's actually a very good question. Uh, so McGonagall deals out what is probably the worst punishment possible for Harry and in um, taking away so many points. She kind of, well, really, he does it, but that punishment takes him completely out of hero status. Yeah. So what would be the worst detention <laughs> to punish you? <laughs> worst detention to punish me. And you can even think of like right now in life. Like yeah. what would be the what would be the worst detention? Yeah. <laughs> this potentially could be funny or it could just <laughs> potentially keep us real serious. I know. I'm like, now I need to be funny because that last one was like, mm, <laughs> where's the tissues? Uh, here's the worst attention that you could give me. You make me go to a party full of a whole bunch of people that I don't know. They're all prettier than me thinner than me and younger than me and nobody's allowed to talk to me oh no <laughs> and it's set it's setting is in a library but i'm not allowed to touch the books oh <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's rough uh-huh that's awful that is terrible that's a detention man um, I mean, I'm definitely going to appeal to my introvert side. <laughs> You'd make me work in a daycare for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't get to be there during nap time. <laughs> diapers, oh, yeah. and diapers and lunch only. <laughs> oh, man. I'll, I'll never break the rules again. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, uh, yeah. That would be it. I love it. <laughs> Should we read some hot seat answers? Oh, yeah, we should. Those will cheer us up. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, let's do hot seats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Our uh, MVP, Zephyr in the Willow, returns for, um, looks like we have chapter 12 and chapter 13. Dang, girl. And... On chapter 12, we asked about if you had a band in the wizarding world, what would your band name be? And then you had also asked about like a memorable holiday mm. bonus if you were away from home. Um, and Zephyr in the Willow commented, first off, well, first off, this is too kind. <laughs> <laughs> First off, I want to say you two ladies are amazing. I love how honest and open you two are. Oh, tears. I know. Like. I think at this point <laughs> is when I said to you, uh, is it, I didn't know I could fall in love via text. <laughs> yes. I'm officially in love with you, Jen. Um, Just so you know. <laughs> Telling the world. Yep. We have always maintained from the get-go that this really is filtered through trauma <laughs> and uh why not share it uh and then she says for hot seat question one the question about the band name my name my band name would be the bezors because music can heal whatever ails you just fucking brilliant so fucking brilliant yeah and then hot seat question two growing up we used to visit family friends on christmas eve for their annual christmas party it was fun to get together with everyone and enjoy their company. The feeling of family and togetherness is what the holidays mean to me. Those annual parties embodied that. And bonus, oh yeah, our patron saint question. Oh, patron saint of procrastination. <laughs> I will never forget or be allowed to forget. <laughs> patron saint of underdogs. <laughs> Uh, since saints are usually patrons of more than one thing, I'd True. have to say books, common sense, and smart assery. God, I'm so in love Which with I her. love. <laughs> I'm so in love with her. And um, at work, I was talking to one of my coworkers, and I didn't ask permission to share their name, so I won't. But their band name, uh, the whole thing is hilarious because they said they'd have a boy band and name it the Marauders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Oh yes, my gosh. there can only be four members. Brilliant. And I have nicknames for you all. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want to take? Do you want me to do chapter thirteen? Yeah, yeah. Lucky number thirteen. Yeah. So, um, the question, the hot seat question number one was regarding cursing someone with a minor inconvenience <laughs> that we stole from Boardwalk T-shirts. Um, and her answer to that was, I want to provide some background before I answer. So my answer makes sense, which I'm I appreciate. So excited so much. for you to read this. I lo- <laughs> when I eat certain foods, I have one spot on my head that always itches. And no matter how much I scratch, it continues to itch. There's no swelling, rash, hives, anything. It just itches as I eat the food and only in that one spot. If I were to curse someone with one minor inconvenience, it would be a food itch in a spot they can't reach that is triggered by their favorite foods. The level of evil, like like minor evil, so brilliant. like kind of inconsequentially yeah. evil is off the charts. <laughs> so brilliant. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. And then um, hot seat question number two. I don't remember exactly what the question was, but... It was what essentially the philosopher slash sorcerer's stone, if you could have an additional power or ability, that's right. what would that additional... This is where you and I solved all the problems of the world by giving clean water and food. Yes. That's right. (laughs) And then she comes in clutch with giving everybody... (laughs) The gift of common sense. Uh, She says, I think that would do the world more good than one person having all knowledge as much as she wishes she had all the knowledge. Yeah. that The gift of common sense for all. I mean, seriously. Combine that with the clean water (laughs) and all the food you need and bam, world peace achieved, done. I'm proud of us. So good. So good. (laughs) Okay. Social media. It's a place where we exist. If you go to Filter Through Fiction on Instagram, you'll find everything you need to know. That is the place. That's the the spot. Just ask Star Daddy. He'll tell you where, how to find (laughs) us. Man, Star Daddy's my new one. It's my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. All right. Well, as always, thank you for coming and talking Harry Potter with us and being part of this conversation. Yes, absolutely. We love you guys and thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.